Father, we're grateful to, uh, to have your word. We're grateful for the fact that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have condescended down to our level. You've been condescended down to human language and communicated it to us uh, in these tangible ways, God. We thank you for that. We thank you that right now as we gather, there are countless churches throughout the city that are gathering and that are seeking to be faithful to your gospel and faithful to your word and to carry out the mission that you've given to, uh, to your church. And we ask for all of those churches seeking to be faithful to your word and to the gospel, that you would bless them, that they would prosper, that they would flourish, that they would have an impact for Jesus in their neighborhood and in the lives of the people of their congregation. And God, we pray for our time that as we come to your word, Lord, you would help us to not uh, receive it simply as the uh, opinions of, of people, but, but as truly uh, the word of God. We pray that you would comfort us through your word, that you would challenge us through your word, that you would convict us through your word, that ultimately you would uh, draw us to Christ through your word, that our vision and love for him would be renewed and refreshed. Or if we're here with questions, that we would see him and love him and know him, maybe for the first time. We ask for you to help us to be attentive to you through this time, that the burdens and worries that we have brought into this place, God, that you would show us that the thing that we need is, is you. And so would you speak to us and reveal yourself to us through your word? Would you help me to be faithful with it and to point people to your son? We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. We're starting a new series called Safety in Time. The gospel gives us safety in time. Isn't it interesting that you can go to different churches or interact with different people who hold the same essential doctrine around the core of Christianity, and you can be treated in very different ways? that you can have people who on paper have a 12, 15, 20-page statement of faith that is all in alignment and agreement, but the culture and the way in which they interact with people can be very different. I'll tell you a story of, uh, of a friend who told his pastor that he had been tempted and he had looked at pornography, and he's weeping and he's telling this, uh, to his pastor. And to just pause this moment, there are multiple different various reactions that could happen in this moment. There's a reaction of shaming. Well, how could you do that? That's so horrible. There's a reaction of guilting. There's the reaction of no big deal. And do you know what he was told? He was told, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You fought temptation. God helped you. You fell, but there's grace for you. I'm proud of you. Now, that's a very different reaction than one would get across the lines in a lot of relationships where people believe the same thing about the gospel, that it's not through our merit 
that we're made right with God, but it's through grace by faith in Jesus. And so one person who believes this gospel says, I am proud of you. I want to encourage you. We'll work through this, but there's grace for you, and I'm proud of you. Another person who would hold the same doctrine might shame them and say, that's horrible. How dare you? So what is it that leads to somebody holding the same doctrine, same essentials, but leads to a different cultural expression or interaction around the gospel? Well, the hint has already been said. It's culture. It's culture. And when the gospel is understood not just intellectually, but is then applied in relationships, you create an environment of safety and time. You create an environment where the pressure is off. You create an environment where sinners are welcomed. You create an environment where struggling people are encouraged. You create an environment where backsliders are now freed and transformed and desirous to move forward with God. You create a completely different environment because the gospel is not just right doctrine on paper, it's applied in real life. This is what we're getting at with this series, Safety and Time. What does it look like to not just have great doctrine around the gospel, but to have it applied in our lives so that in our churches, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our parenting, in our working, in all of our interactions, grace and truth are not just theories, but become real embodied experiences. We need safety and time, and the gospel gives us safety and time. We need this because we often feel like God is always putting up with us. He's always disappointed. There's always one thing that's off about us, and so God feels this way about us. But the gospel says no, and the gospel shows us we have safety and time. So I want to hit the, uh, the next slide, one of 10,000 slides. Carrie's going to be very busy. Um, Safety and time, I want to break this down for us, and then we're going, to look at, uh, we're going to look at actually a ton of text, so this is going to be very different than, than our usual sermons. Uh, we'll, we'll look at a bunch of passages instead of just one. But I want to de- define these, uh, these terms, gospel, safety, and time. This is from uh, two, two people who've had a big influence on me, uh, one Ray Ortland in, uh, in Nashville, and then my good friend Rob Barrett in uh, Bellingham, Washington. So this is a lot uh, adapted from them. So gospel. Gospel is good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. Multiple exposures. We need multiple exposures to the good news because the good news is almost too good to be true, right? You can say, oh, I'm in my sin right now, but God fully accepts me. That's so jarring to us psychologically that we need to be drenched in the gospel. We need multiple exposures of this. We need constant immersion. We need wave and wave upon uh, wave upon wave of grace and truth according to the Bible. And here's what happens. When the gospel is believed and then people live out of it, the result, you think of an equation, gospel equals safety and time. When the gospel is believed rightly, theologically, and then is applied relationally and experientially, what comes out of that is safety and time. Does that make sense? You guys see the invisible math, right? What comes out of it is safety and time. So safety, here's what comes out of the gospel, believed rightly and applied in relationship. What comes out of it is safety and uh, non-accusing environment. No finger pointing, no embarrassing people, no manipulation, no oppression, no condescension, but respect and sympathy and understanding where sinners can confess and unburden their souls. Doesn't this sound nice? This This sounds very good. Safety. So the next slide. Not just do we get safety, but we have time. We have no pressure. We're not even dealing with self-imposed pressure. No deadlines on growth. We're urgent, but not in a hurry because no one changes quickly. 
We have a lot of space for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level. God is patient. This is what our churches must be, gentle and truth-filled environments of gospel equals safety plus time. It's where we're finally free to grow because of the saving and transforming grace of Jesus. Do you guys get these categories? We're going to keep working, working this out. But do you, do you guys, you guys following with these basic things right here? The gospel equals safety plus time. And we're going to talk about uh, why. Why does the gospel create safety and time? And what does that look like? How does that come about? How do we experience that? How do we let that transform us? So we're going to look at a bunch of different texts. But the first text we're going to look at is going to be Exodus uh, 33. 18 through 34, 9. We'll have it up on the screen, but if you want to uh, look, you can, you can flip there. Exodus uh, 33, 18 through 34, 9. I want to uh, say this, safety and time, uh, the first pillar of how safety and time is, is given to us, is created, is the character of God. It's the first pillars, the character of God. That's the first component of safety and time. So let's look at this text. This is, uh, this is part of, to situate this in the story, um, this is kind of the re-upping of God's relationship with his people. They have just, in chapter 32, they've just turned away from him and, and, and created an idol after he did this miraculous uh, salvation act of the Exodus. And they're like, well... That was great, but now we're going to worship this calf. And so now God is like, well, let's, uh, we got some work to do. And so he reveals himself to Moses, the representative of the people again, and he uh, shows his glory. And there's so much in this passage, I want you to see this. Notice as we read it what his glory is tied to. His glory is tied to the revealing of his name, his character. Okay, so, so here's the text. 33:18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness, God, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. A lot happening here. So Moses was requesting to see God's glory, And God displays his glory by declaring his name, by revealing his character, 
by showing the very essence of who he is. So we see this in 34 verses uh, 6 and 7. That Moses can't see the fullness of God's glory, but God gives him a glimpse, comes and stands before him and passes before him and proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. This is the essence and character of God. You see this this phrase about God in verses 6 and 7, this description used throughout Scripture. This is his rep. This is his reputation. This is his essence. This is his name. That's when names are so important. I don't know if you've ever seen the series at HBO called The Wire. There's the end of this series where uh, there, there's this street character named Marlo, and he's finally made it out of the streets into the upper class, but he's heard on the street that somebody has disrespected his name. And this is going to spoil the show, but the show's been out 10 years. If you haven't seen this, it's your own fault. So he says, he, he hears word of this, so he leaves the safety of, of making it, basically being like the Wall Street man. He leaves that to go back to the corner because somebody has disrespected his name. Because his name is his character, it's his essence. And we see similar but in a righteous way here with God. Moses says, show me your glory. Well, God doesn't show him, well, look at the sky. Well, his glory is revealed in creation. He doesn't say, look at yourself. Well, God's glory is revealed in us. Look at the things that we can do. Look how fingers can fing. Think of all the ways in which we display the glory of God. He doesn't say, look at yourself. He doesn't say, look at creation. He doesn't say any of those things. He gives him his name. He states, this is who I am. You want to know my glory? Hear the essence of who I am. The Lord, the Lord. First, he's showing the Lord. He's saying Yahweh. He's saying, I I am who I am. I'm the uncaused one. I'm the one whose beginning has no beginning, whose end has no end, whose middle has no middle. I'm self-existing. I'm self-sustaining. I'm the Lord. And then look at who he is. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is full of steadfast love. Slow to anger. Psalm 7 says, God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day. So God feels indignation at the brokenness and rebellion of sin uh, of humanity every day, and yet he's slow to anger. He's gracious with us. He's patient with us. He's abounding in steadfast love. This is loyal love. This is covenant love that, that doesn't run dry. This is unending, lavish love on his people. And then it goes to what? Thousands. This here isn't very helpful because it's really thousands of generations. Saying this love isn't just for thousands, like 4,000 people. No, this is the thousands of generations. This is down the line love. But then we also find out this God is gracious in these incredible ways, but he's also holy. He's set apart. He's pure. He's right. His standards are higher than ours. And so we find out that part of God's character is not only this unspeakable, incredible, amazing covenant love, but part of his character is a holiness that ought to leave us a little bit frightened. He says, I will by no means pardon the guilty. And then, he, and then he uses three different types of phrases for sin, transgression, iniquity, and sin, just so we don't have any way to weasel out. And then he says, visiting the iniquity of, of, the, of the fathers on the children and the children and children. Basically, what he's saying is we're accountable for our sin personally, but the effects can go down the line. I will by no means pardon the guilty. Sin will not go unchecked, unignored, because God is holy. So this is the character of God. So how does this create for us safety in time, a God who is infinitely gracious but also infinitely holy with right and pure standards? How does this create for us safety in time? Well, because this is the essence of the character of God and it's shown and fulfilled through the act of God, which is the cross. 
So we, we could read this and say, God is gracious, but God won't clear the guilty. How is this going to work? How is this going to merge? Well, the answer is the cross, where God's love says, I will not put the judgment upon my people. His holiness says the judgment must be placed on someone. His love says it will be placed upon me in my son. And so the way that God clears the guilty is by being holy and righteous and loving and putting the penalty on himself through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. In the old covenant, that's worked out through sacrifice. But for us, the ultimate way that that is meant to show and display, the ultimate uh, picture of that, reality of that, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus, in some of his last words, he declares some st- this statement about our salvation. He gives these three words. He says, it is finished. It's done. It's complete. Salvation is secured. We are righted before God. It is finished. So it's the character of God that leads to the act of God that gives us safety and time. It's not God being coerced out of his character to be gracious to us. No, it's the very essence of who he is. It's the character of God leading to the act of God, the cross, that gives broken people like you and me safety and time. It is finished. And so if you want to be a person who experiences the safety and time that God gives us, you you need to uh, live close to the cross of Jesus. You need to live near the foot of the cross. You need to anchor your identity, your life, your everything around the cross of Jesus. And not only that, you actually, you need to understand it well. You need to understand it well. I want to read, uh, read this quote to help us understand what it means that it is finished, this work of salvation that Jesus has done, his atonement has earned us salvation, what, what this means. The cross of Christ is certainly a noble example of self-sacrifice, but if it be only a noble example of self-sacrifice, it is no comfort for burdened souls. It certainly shows how God hates sin, but if it does nothing but show how God hates sin, it only deepens our despair. It certainly exhibits the love of God, but if it does nothing but exhibit the love of God, it is a mere meaningless exhibition which seems unworthy of God. Many things are taught us by the cross, but the other things are taught us only if the really central meaning is preserved, the central meaning upon which all the rest depends. On the cross, the penalty of our sins was paid. It is though we ourselves had died in fulfillment of the just curse of the law, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us was wiped out, And henceforth, we have an entirely new life in the full favor of God. All he's saying is that we have to understand there are many things that the cross teaches us. A beautiful example set by Jesus. Many things it teaches us. But one of the central things upon which everything else flows is that through the cross, there was an act of substitution that now brings us the full favor of God. It's not just that Jesus was liberating us. It's not just that Jesus was showing an example for us to follow, that we should sacrifice ourselves for others. No, at its very essence, the way in which all those secondary things hold up is through the core essence that Jesus was actually rescuing us by substituting himself. And when we see that, we begin to be on the path of safety and time. So we have to have a big view of the cross if we're going to enjoy the safety and time that God is desirous to give us. We have to understand that through Christ, we have now, because of the cross, the favor that we could not earn. 
that through Christ now, because of the cross, we have the salvation that we do not deserve. And through Christ, because of the cross, we have a grace that we can't even fully understand. This is what is ours through the work of Jesus. Now, this is difficult for us to understand because one of the other truths that is central to Christianity is that we're sinners. And so one of the struggles of the Christian is how they deal with the reality of the full favor and grace of God through Jesus and the very real understanding of our sin, where you almost feel like you have this kind of bouncing back and forth identity. Oh, I'm this horrible, I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm worthless, Lord. And they says, oh no, wait, actually, wait, I'm righteous in Christ, right? You ever feel that? This, this back and forth, and how do you ground your understanding? And the way you primarily think of yourself in relation to Jesus determines how much of safety and time you experience. If you only think of yourself in the terms, I am a sinner, yes, you are. We know, Right? If you only think of yourselves in those terms, you will not experience the safety and time that God has given to us through the gospel. That's half of the story. That's just the first act of the movie. So how do you primarily think about yourself? Is it only through the lens of your brokenness? Is it only through the lens of your sin? Is it only through the lens of your recent failures? Is it only through that grid, which as reality proves and scripture testifies, is true. But do you also then live at the foot of the cross? That says, yes, these things are true of me, but I'm righteous in Jesus. Yes, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. Do you live out of both of those things with the cross being central to your view of self? As we step into that, we begin to experience safety and time. So the, the two keys that unlock the door of fullness of joy in God and safety and time are these two realities. Yes, I am a sinner and more so than I think, but Christ is a greater Savior and more so than I think. We need both of those truths operational on the heart level. Both of those truths. So which do we live out of? most. Because the act of God in the gospel is how we receive safety in time. The act of God in the gospel is how we receive safety in time. Now, I want to show you why we want to camp out at the cross and see all the different aspects of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, how many of you have held a, a diamond or a nice piece of jewelry? None of you. Okay. Wow, this will work well. Um, right, if you hold a nice piece of jewelry or a ring with a few diamonds and you can just kind of play it in the light and you're going to see different angles and refractions and you're going to kind of observe its beauty in different, in different ways, right? In a lot of ways, when you think about what Jesus has done for us on the cross, you can really hold up the cross, you can hold up the atonement, and you can look at it and you can see all of these different beautiful angles and components to what he's done. Some will call them images of the, of the atonement or theories of the atonement, but they're, 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 they're kind of different aspects of all that Christ has done. So when we say Jesus has died for our sins, we're saying something that is simple and, and true, but beneath that and, and inside of that are all of these beautiful different realities of what Christ has done. And I want to run us through those very quickly because I want you to feel and understand 
how much grace, safety, and time you have from God by faith because of the character of God and then leading to the act of God, which is the cross. I want you to understand it. I want you to get a sense of it. I want you to feel it. I hope, you get a, I hope we get a little overwhelmed with it as we see all of these different aspects, that because of the grace of Jesus, we have safety. We're not worried if we're condemned. And we have time. We don't have to become perfect tomorrow. We have grace that covers our sins and then also transforms us to grow slowly. No pressure, urgency, but no hurry. All this comes from the cross. So here are all of the different aspects of what Christ has done for us. So you, the first aspect, uh, or one of the first aspects of the, of the cross is propitiation. Can you guys say that? Propitiation. Propitiation. This is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath. Jesus propitiates the wrath of God. He, he satisfies it. It means there's, there's no concern or worry over judgment for one who trusts in Jesus. This, this is not on their radar because Jesus has already taken mine. We have expiation, which is the removal of our guilt and, 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 and sin. How many of us are weighed down by our guilt? How many of us are weighed down by our shame? Jesus removes it. We can still place ourselves under it, but Jesus in reality has, has removed it from us. Justification. The legal declaration of forgiveness and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. This means Jesus has taken his, his perfect living and righteousness and placed it upon you in such a way that it's yours. It's on your back like a robe. It belongs to you. Now, you may know these in your head. You may be able to rehearse these, point, these to, uh, point to the verses in Scripture that represent these, but do you live like these are true? Do we live like this? Because this is all ours. Reconciliation. Enmity is removed. Restoration occurs. We are no longer at odds with God, but are restored to Him through the cross of Jesus. Redemption. We are bought out of slavery to Satan, sin, and death. They no longer rule over us, but we've been set free. We've been liberated. Adoption. The act of God making sinners sons and daughters. And this one, completion. It's finished. There is not another sacrifice given or needed to earn the favor of God. There is not another act of good deeds that you need to do to earn the favor of God. There's not another display of devotion that you need to do to earn the love and pleasure of God. Jesus has completed the work. Jesus has done it himself. Now, I want to read you a bunch of scripture so this sinks in even, even more. Romans 5, 6 through 11. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So pointing to the resurrection. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, remember, He's slow to anger, He had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What this verse is saying at the end is saying, God is not too perfect to forgive sinners. God is not too perfect to forgive sinners, but he is so perfect that he found a way to forgive sinners at the same time while holding up his holy standards. That through the cross, God is able to pardon the guilty while upholding his righteousness. See, most of us, if we're going to pardon or forgive someone, we've got to lower our standards, right? That's why when someone says, uh, someone says oh, I'm, I'm sorry, or they, they wrong us, we don't often say, I forgive you. We often say, oh, it's cool, as if it didn't bother us. Oh, you showed up an hour late to the meeting, and now my whole day is ruined. Oh, it's cool, right? We, we, we basically, we're going to say, hey, I'm just going to kind of pardon. I'm not going to hold to my standards. What we really say is, I forgive you. You wronged me but I'm going to give you grace. I'm still going to uphold my standards. God doesn't say, oh, it's cool. He says, no, let me solve this in such a way that grace is given to you and my righteousness is upheld. My standard is not lowered to give you grace. I'm so perfect. I'm going to uphold my standard and still you receive mercy. Do we see? This is what Christ has done for us. Colossians 2, uh, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is speaking of our redemption. Christ is our victor who has triumphed over Satan and the spiritual powers and who has triumphed over our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That the sinless Savior gave us his righteousness, that we might be declared righteous in the sight of God. And then uh, last, Hebrews 10. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's finished. That's why Jesus says, it is finished. Upon a cross, hanging, bleeding, dying, final words, it is finished. You know what that means for us? Every time we think we need to do in order to earn from God, we disregard Jesus' words. We disregard his blood. We disregard his sacrifice. We, we don't really believe it's finished. We, we really think it's incomplete. And there is more to be done. But Jesus says it is finished. And I love this last verse 14. Look, at it. it says, for by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Isn't this strange? He has perfected us. We are complete. We have all that we need, but we're being what? What are we being? Sanctified. So we're perfected, and yet we're still being sanctified. Do you see that? This is where safety and time comes from. The verdict has already been brought in for the Christian. The verdict has been brought in. It says, you're declared righteous. You have the full favor of God. You're perfected. You're sealed. You're signed. You're delivered. You're accepted. Nothing is going to change over this. This is who you are in Christ. And now, guess what? You have safety and time. Relax as God now sanctifies you. So all of this, I want you to hear because I myself want this for me and I want this for you because this is what God wants for us. But I want all of us to hear this and to believe the good news that sounds unbelievable 
And then to just breathe and just relax because we have safety and time. We can just calm down. I mean, we'll get excited about Jesus, but everything else, right? Our, our, our sense of, I need to make more progress. Our sen- the sense of, I know God accepts me, but I feel like God is rejecting me. We, we just need to breathe and believe the gospel and know that we have safety and time. It's okay. No more self-imposed pressure. No more, I need to become this now. No more when I hear prayer, I think, oh, wow, I'm horrible. No, you're righteous in Christ. Believe the good news. We have safety and time. Breathe, and then let's follow. Let's follow him. So this is a enjoy the, all of this content in these truth, and then we can just relax and worship because of what God has done. Now, it doesn't stop with, with this act of God. Oh, there's one more. Can I read you guys one more passage? You guys, some of you guys are like, no, no more gospel. This is too much good news. When you, condemn us. Is one more, one more passage about God's love? Would that be okay? Would that be amenable? Would that be acceptable? Okay. This is Zephaniah. I want you to hear this because this is how God relates to us now through the work that Christ has done for us. It says this, uh, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. See, our fundamental view of God is that he's always a little bit disappointed with us. Because we have a very real sense that we are not living up to what we desire to be in light of what Christ has done. We understand that. And that's true. But we have to understand how God sees us not how we see God seeing us. We feel it's always a little disappointed. I understand that. I feel it all the time, right? I come up here and tell you guys all these things, and then I deal with the reality of my own brokenness. So I understand that this is very a jarring thing for us, but we have to do the, the work to see what Christ has done and sit under it, where it says the Father just rejoices over us. The Father sings over you. The Father delights over you. The Father is pleased with you because you're in Christ. Because of all of these aspects of the gospel are true for us. And when we see that, we realize how much safety and time God has given us and what will work out next week, how we then give safety and time to one another. This is the act of God through the cross that changes everything. We have safety and time so we can believe and then we can breathe. Now, one of the things we have to do if we're going to experience safety in time, and we're going to sing about this in in a moment, we have to lay down something. We have to lay down something. We have to turn our back on something. I want you to think about this. When someone is teaching, when you think you know how to do something, and you're doing it, and then you work with somebody else, and they're like, actually, you, you need to not do it like that. Let me show you how it's truly done might be a technique, it might be using a tool, it might be a strategy. And there's this moment where you have to either be humble and lay that down, lay that, well, this is how I understood it. Well, that's actually wrong. Let me lay that down and let me embrace what this person is teaching me. There's the same thing with receiving the safety and time of the gospel. We have to lay down our sense of our own righteousness, of our own goodness, and we have to receive the righteousness that Jesus himself is giving to us through the cross. We have to turn our back on our sense of my goodness 
is going to present me at least halfway to God. We have to lay that down. What we talked about is religion in the negative sense. We have to lay that down if we're going to receive the righteousness of Jesus. You have to lay down those things in your head that you think, oh, if I did this, then God would feel a little bit better about me. We all have them. You have to lay them down or you will not experience safety in time. And if you want to know what it is you need to lay down, just think, well, if I did this this week, then I would feel really confident about how God feels about me. That's the thing you have to lay down. It's probably a great thing, but you have to understand that's not what merits your, your standing before God. We have to lay it down. The last component of safety and time, which I'm going to say in one sentence, is that we have safety and time not only because of the character of God and the act of God, but also the grip of God. That uh, Philippians 1.6 says this, Paul is talking to a new uh, uh, community of believers. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is giving them assurance. He's saying, if God has saved you, God will keep you. Yes, you can backslide. Yes, you can wonder. But if God has saved you, God will keep you. And with that knowledge, we understand we have even more safety in time because God will not let his children go. So we have safety in time. So hopefully you hear the truth of the gospel, the character of God, the grace of God, the act of God, God who will not give up on us. When we believe this, not just on paper, but we bring it to the level of our hearts day by day, we begin to experience the safety and time that is ours through Jesus. That yes, we want to grow, but we know that our sins do not condemn us, our slow progress does not condemn us, our backsliding does not condemn us, our lack of speed and progress does not condemn us, because Christ was already condemned for us, and his righteousness is placed upon our head like a crown. We have safety in time because of the work of Jesus. So we believe and we breathe and we rejoice. Let's go before God in silent prayer. Encourage you as we pray silently to uh, pray and think about what is the performance, the, the thing that you are holding to as a sense of righteousness? What is it that God is calling you to lay down and turn to Christ for his righteousness in its place? Let's take a moment to pray before God silently and I will lead us in a moment of prayer. Father, we ask for uh, your forgiveness for the ways in which we try to uh, uphold our own uh, righteousness through empty religious duty. We ask for your forgiveness for the ways in which we, uh, in some places of our hearts, fail to believe all of the good news of what Christ has done. We ask for forgiveness for all the ways in which we fail to believe that it is really finished. Do you forgive us for our righteousness projects where we try to do things to construct a righteousness? We thank you for being patient with us. We thank you that because of the grace that flows from your character displayed on the cross that we have safety and time with you. That you're not demanding us to become something immediately, but you have made us righteous in Christ and now you are sanctifying us even though we've been declared perfect through the work of your son. God, we praise you. 
We thank you that Jesus is our mediator, that Jesus is our high priest who presents us before you, Father, clothed in righteousness, fully accepted as sons and daughters. God, would you sink that truth into our hearts at a deep level? Would you allow us to believe the gospel more deeply than we ever have before? As we sing, God, would these truths that we sing, would they come not just as truths that we embrace in our head, but would you work them into our hearts more and more that we would leave this place believing the gospel more deeply than we did when we stepped in? Would you do that work in us by your Holy Spirit? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.